Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. It truly is, and it's a blessing. We had our Zim this last Wednesday night, and I have to tell you, uh, we had a really good turnout, uh, young men and young ladies, and I think my heart was the happiest it'd been in quite a while. Those young folks really inspire a lot of joy, and it was just a blessing to be able to spend. I think we had 21 kids, and, and uh, I know they were sure thankful to be here, probably get away from mom and dad for a while, and mom and dad was probably happy to have them away from them for a while, so, uh, but they were a blessing, and I have to tell you, you as parents uh, are doing a good job raising your kids. It's good to be here, and it's a blessing to be here, and I'm thankful for what the Lord has in store for us. I will tell you, those of you who may not know, Buddy Weatherly passed away Saturday, and Buddy and Susie were members of this church and really still considered uh, for many years. I live right down the street from uh, Donna Lester, and uh, I've been in contact with Susie. We don't know what the funeral arrangements are yet, uh, but surely by Tuesday we'll know, and we'll send out an email and get that information out so that we can reach out to, uh, to Susie and, uh, and her family. And um, what, very, I don't know how well you know Susie, a really sweet lady. And so uh, it's a very difficult time for him this morning. Uh, I also want to tell you to continue to pray for Danny Alewine. Danny is um, he's doing well. And so far in, in the last, it's been two, almost three weeks now, um, the cancer, his, it, there's still cancer, but it's, I guess the word is dormant or not active or it, it's, it, it's, it's good. And Danny's spirits are up. He's putting on some weight. His attitude is good. Uh, continue to pray for them. Uh, and in April, Smith um, is uh, going to have, she has finished all her radiation and her chemo, Scott, you know exactly what, I mean, it's what you do to a T. And now um, on the 18th, well, it'll be a week from now, they're going to go in to determine the, several, the surgery, the level of surgery. So continue to keep uh, April in your uh, prayers as well. It is good to be here. Uh, I will ask you to go to the, act, the book of Acts chapter 9, the book of Acts chapter 9. I will tell you, and if you didn't notice in your uh, bulletin uh, from now on, and I'm really thankful for this, uh, we're not going to have an offertory as a part of our worship service. There's an offertory and prayer request box in the foyer. And uh, just as God leads you to give, you as you come or you go, you just leave your offering in that offertory box. And uh, really, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I just really believe that our worship is, is literally just, we're here to worship, uh, admon admonish each other and, uh, the word of God and find encouragement with our fellowship together and sing praises and, uh, and Mark, thank you for your song selection this morning. Absolutely inspiring. Um, blessed be the name of the Lord. And uh, so just a note, and then, of course, all of our announcements are in the bulletin. Acts chapter 8. I, don't, I think I may have said 9. Acts chapter 8. Um, it's, it may be a story that you're familiar with. It's <clears throat> the story, if you know anything about the book of Acts, the book of Acts is uh, considered historically the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, after beginning with the... Uh, the ascension of Christ, uh, Acts chapter 1, into heaven, and then the acts, the action of 
the Holy Spirit and the, uh, the uh, Holy Spirit um, covers about 35 years, the first 35 years of Christianity after the ascension of uh, Christ into heaven. And there's many stories of conversion, salvation, one after the other. And you get to the uh, eighth chapter of the book of Acts, uh, Philip, one of the very first deacons in, uh, the, for the New Testament of those seven individuals chosen who are full of the spirit and wisdom, church chose them to serve as deacons. Uh, Philip has been called into the act of uh, evangelism. Verse 29 of uh, Acts chapter 8 reads, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. God had sent him uh, to what this road is called the Gaza Road, a desert road. You can read about it in verse 26. And as he's there, the uh, chariot is on this road, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join this uh, chariot. And in verse 30, and when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which uh, he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth uh, in humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? And his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And I want you to hear this uh, response, church. Verse 35, and Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So I, I would just say to you, um, for me personally, um, we're going to start here. And as long as the Lord allows me today, one week or however he uh, allows me or the time period, my preaching is going to be based upon that statement. And beginning from here, he preached Jesus. Let me just say very quickly, Genesis through Revelation, there are over 300 titles, 300 titles um, that reference Jesus. For instance, uh, you know, the uh, Alpha and the Omega, the bright morning star, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All of those are titles and statements that are referencing uh, the Christ. There's over 300 of them. There's over 300 throughout Genesis through Revelation, where in the prophetic writings, uh, any of the New Testament epistles, um, uh, any of them, the historical books, uh, where there's a statement made in context to God's people, God's action in his word that is a reference to Christ, to Jesus. And, uh, and so if you go back to just that passage we read in Acts chapter 8, this is 2,000 years ago. Christ has ascended into heaven. The acts of the apostle, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the church is fresh and new. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And Philip, God sends him to the Gaza Road, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading from a manuscript out of Isaiah chapter 53, 600 years before these events. A 600-year-old manuscript, a prophetic manuscript. And 
and they have a conversation, and he reads the great passage, and he said, who is this man talking about? Is he talking about himself or someone else? And it said, and from this point, he preached Jesus. And I will tell you that from the very first word in the book of Genesis to the last word in the book of Revelation, the entirety of God's word, Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 2, he's talking about wisdom, man's wisdom. And he's talking about the message. And he says, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was probably in his 40s. Had to have been at least in his 40s. God saved him. Uh, you can read about his salvation in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. He'll give you his own testimony in the third chapter of Philippians. God chose Paul. God saved Paul. He was Saul. He would become Paul. And in the entirety of everything that he knew, if you were a Pharisee uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, you had God's word, Genesis through Malachi, imagine this, memorized. It was memorized. And in Paul's case, he would have had it memorized in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, I don't know if anybody here this morning has the Old Testament memorized in one language, much less three, but he was a learned man. He was an educated man. He was a committed man. He was a highly religious man. And God saved him. And in his salvation, God became... <laughs> realized, uh, Paul realized uh, that he was ignorant concerning the scriptures. In fact, it says that he had to go and relearn the scriptures. Three years he took in relearning the scriptures. And then everything that he had believed, everything that he had memorized, everything that he committed his life to, he said, let me tell you what I know now. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I believe the most life-changing dynamic of the Word of God is when you and I begin to read the Word of God through that, through, through that reality that I can go anywhere in Scripture and I can read whatever's happening in Scripture historically, prophetically, anything, personally, topically. I can, I can anything. You want to study divorce? You better study Jesus. You want, to, you want to study money? You better study Jesus. You want to study uh, morality, sexuality? Study Jesus. It, it's just the entirety of Scripture has to deal with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So moving forward, we're just going to preach Jesus. And the best place to start is Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1. It's a scripture and a passage I'm sure you all know very well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18. I'm going to begin in verse 16, uh, and then we're going to make this connection. Uh, verse 16, Paul writes to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
in the Jew first, or to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it, the right, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And now here, I want to make this connection, preaching Jesus, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against uh, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. And it's just a very open, this statement about I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let me tell you how God saves people through the gospel. It's the power of the gospel unto salvation to everyone who believes. And, and it has to do with righteousness and faith. And then if you understand that, you'll understand things about the wrath of God, the revelation of the wrath of God. In verse 19, it says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Christian, not a Christian. If you, if you have been raised in some remote place in the world, if you're an aborigine in Australia, in the third world conditions throughout the world, whether it's in Africa or South America, he's about to make a statement about how God works, how he has always worked, and then the statement that it has to do in relationship to you and I and what we know or what we don't know. What we know or what we may not know about God. So he makes a statement. He says, verse now 20 for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understand through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God, the invisible attributes of God, have been made known through the creation. His eternal power, his divine nature, it's been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they're without excuse. Now, if you were reading in the Greek New Testament, that starts so that they, that is a Greek word that translates its uh, it means that all men, he's using this personal pronoun, they, but this they uh, translates to all humanity. That every man, woman, and child has ever been born is without excuse. And we're all, we don't have an excuse. We'll never be able to stay. You may have never darkened the doors of a church in your life. You may never have heard the gospel preached. You may never have heard the word of Christ spoken. Now, I want you to really measure the brevity of this statement. We're God's people. And if we are God's people, the thing that ought to be paramount in our life, and I love what Paul said, he, we're, he left us uh, he, with a purpose that we ought to be glad, we ought to enjoy him. And, and glorify him. Church, I want to tell you, the evidence of the glorification of God is how God's people live in relationship to the understanding. Okay, I have a purpose. 
My purpose is just to honor him, bring glory to him. He said, well, how do you do that? Well, church, the scripture very clearly says how. That we are so fully convinced of the sovereign power of God in salvation. That we are moved in ways that the most significant thing in my life, in the honoring of God, is the souls of all humanity. I, I have to challenge myself. Um, you know, what's really important to Aubrey? I have to look in the mirror and say, what's really important to me? I'm going to have a lot of things that are important to me. You can tell the level of importance of anything in anybody's life. I used to have a professor, he used to say, all you have to do is show me somebody's bank statement and I can tell you how important or what is important to someone and what we spend our money and our time and our energy on. Now you say a preacher, we can boil that down to a church, we can boil that down to a Christian wife, a Christian husband, a Christian family, a Christian child and we begin to examine ourselves. Life's a vapor, we're only here for just a little while. We don't know, God knows the hair of our head is numbered. If that's true, if it's a vapor and the hair of our head is numbered, and it is true, we got just a little bit of time to enjoy the Lord and glorify Him. And one of the burdens that I've witnessed in the years of ministry is that God's people, I don't know. I don't know if we're really concerned about the souls of all humanity. I don't know if we fully grasp the, the final words that Christ would say to his apostles before he ascended into heaven. Go into all the world, Matthew 28, 19, and Mark 16, 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Acts 1 and 8, he says, you go to Jerusalem and you just wait there and you're going to receive power from on high. You're going to receive this evidence of the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses. Witnesses. First in uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the world and I would believe somehow just by looking at myself and uh, the church that sometime we have become a conveniently comfortable in practicing something maybe it's religious it fills a, a momentary need in my life and it's a momentary expression about you know my faith in God and, and uh, we're just not really bad people and we're doing the best that we can and church certainly plays in my worship uh, relationship with God. It plays a part in my daily devotional prayer. I'm not making light of that. But somehow these earthly things, this world, this, all the other things, all the things that we desire, all the things that we're interested, all the things that are alluring to us, and they just keep pulling us away and pulling us away and pulling us away from the initial, the initial goal and purpose of glorifying God. And that is, huh. Everything that I can see and everything that I cannot see only exist by the mighty will of God. And there was a point in time, the Bible calls it a creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then when we look at the world, we ought to see the world. We ought to see it as it is. And we ought to see souls, literally souls, eternal living souls, not physical dying bodies. 
We've all been able to look out into that, that setting of this ocean or sea of humanity that, that we live in. And we ought to have this sense in our heart, this understanding that that individual just is, I, that I, I don't have an excuse. Me above all else, I don't have an excuse. I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a, a country that had the freedom to express their faith in Christ. I don't have an excuse. There's Bibles everywhere. There's God's Word on every coffee table and, and every cabinet, and, and they're just everywhere. In every hotel, there's a Bible on a dresser drawer. There's God's Word, and we're free to just have it and use it and look at it. It's just everywhere. Nobody has oppressed me. But even with that, so I really don't have an excuse, but what this passage says, there's people, there's souls throughout the world who maybe have never even heard the word of Christ. And church, I want you to get this. And it's even there without an excuse. All humanity is without an excuse. If you've never darkened the doors of a church or opened holy writ, God did something. He made it evident in the life of a man and a woman that you could just look. You could see the trees that grow, the wind that blows, the changing of the seasons, the tide that comes and stops and goes. You can just see it. And you ought to know there's a God. There is indeed a God. The scripture says, the fool says in their heart, there's no God. I don't believe there's such a thing as an atheist. I do not believe that. I believe that's a false premise and a false word. I do believe in a rebellious spirit who's so full of something that is certainly foreign to God that in their animosity or whatever it is, depravity, depression, self-righteousness, We've used a word, atheist. <laughs> very, the very reality of that word, in my opinion, proves there is a God. But the scripture says that no man will have an excuse. No, no human will have an excuse. That, that when the judgment takes place and the heavens are opened up, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And whether you've darkened the door of a church or opened a page of scripture, you won't have an excuse. We won't. Now go to Colossians chapter 1. Paul makes this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to preach Jesus. Paul makes a statement to the Romans about the creation. And the evidence of God, even in the creation. And then he makes this statement about God in Christ and Christ with Christ. And the supremacy of Christ and the revelation of that supremacy. Verse 13, chapter 1 of Colossians. For he, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of son, uh, of sins. So God, God delivered Aubrey, Tammy, Mark. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Everything. By Christ, through Christ, everything you can see and cannot see was created by and through Christ. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Number one. If you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and if you believe that all man will, we, we, we don't, none, of, none of us will have an excuse before God because the invisible attributes have been made known through the Christ. If you believe that, and then you see how that happened through God using his son to create everything, seen or unseen, and that, and that hmm, all things have been created by him and for him. Now, right there. Stop. Christ in the Christ. Preaching Jesus. If that statement is true and if you believe that, I just got to ask you, and the very first question that's got to be asked personally as you read this, are you living, do you, do you believe you've been created by him? I mean, the scripture says that God knew you and I before, you know, we were formed in the mother's womb. Book of Jeremiah. None of us are a mistake. There's not been a, a, there's not been a single soul born of man that was a mistake. Not one. There's no random individual that's living anywhere. And so here's the reality. If you believe that, and you want to solve every problem in your life. I can tell you how to solve every problem in your life. Everybody, you got a problem, write it down. Put it in an envelope. You write the list. Maybe you got more than one problem. You might have 10, 12, 20. Maybe you might have 30 problems. I'm going to give you the biblical answer for curing those problems, solving those problems, overcoming those problems, removing those problems, erasing those problems. Take every one of them. You name the problem. I don't care what it is. Write it down. Here's how you solve the problem. Do you believe you were created by Christ for him? Because every problem that you and I have, every problem that you and I have, is void of that fact. So, so I got a problem. You just name the problem. You list the problem. And I'm worried about that problem. And that problem is overwhelming me. And I'm covered up and I'm consumed by that problem. And I'm struggling with that problem. And I'm trying to make sense of that problem. Well, you can approach that any way you want. You can approach it in your own power, in your own knowledge. 
with your own assets. Or you can do this. The creator of everything visible and invisible. At some point, he said, this person is going to live. I'm going to give this person life. I'm going to give it life. This individual. And, and the purpose of this individual is to live for me. Now, if you understand that and you believe that, you take whatever problem that you have and put it in light of that. Because here's something the Bible does. You name the problem. You name where you think it originates from. You figure out how you're going to handle it. And or do this. Is there an answer from God? that tells me how to handle that problem for him? Is there an answer from God that tells me how to handle that problem for him? Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. The one who created you for his purpose instilled you. You know, you talk to any farmer or rancher. Or you talk to any engineer. One of the most frustrating things is you're dealing with just doing stuff, dealing with equipment or livestock or people or, or stuff that's built. Or you talk to a home builder or you talk to anybody and you look at something and you see somebody trying to use something in a way that it was not created for. It's a disaster, isn't it? It's just a disaster. Well, that, that's not what that was made for. We call it Southern Engineering, but that's not what it was made for. It's not good. And you know, when you look out here in the world right now, you want to see what's happening right now? You, wanna, you want first, you want on the stage evidence for what's happening right now on your TV? You just watch CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox News, walk, listen to everything they've got to say. They're not talking about anything that has to do with the, the creative sovereign power of God and the purpose that he had in it. Paul mentioned it. And, and then for you and I, you can see the pandemic fear of all of humanity and people shuffling for answers. And one doctor says this and another doctor says this. And there's so many unanswered questions and we don't really trust them. And then you got politicians and experts. And they got a lifestyle and they got an intellect and they got an approach and they got an attitude and they got something, information, but it doesn't have anything to do with a sovereign God who did this. Hmm. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. What was this? What if this was the headline of the news item of the day. We're going to start today, folks, with a statement, a true statement, the statement, the only statement that any of us ought to be living according to that has to do with what's happening right now. Right now in this world, everything you need to know is that everything by him, all things were created, 
both in the heavens on the earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Doesn't matter who the president is. Doesn't matter who the dictator is. Doesn't matter who the prime minister is. Doesn't matter. There's something going on here that God was ahead of. God was in charge of. He hasn't given that up. He still is. And it has to do with thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Will the news item change? Will the headline change? Absolutely. What would you say? What could you say? And this is what it would be. Verse 17, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it through his son. And he did it so that we could fulfill his purpose and find joy in it. And that we could be the salt and the light and the sweet aroma to the dark, broken lives and souls, the sea of them that were surrounded, people living in utter fear, anger, disease, divorce, immorality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 18, for he is also, I'll finish here. Christ is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. I'm not going to add to that. I'm just going to ask you a question. See, if you're living for him, if you believed you were created by him and you're living for him on the basis of that, you don't even have to, this is not a question that has to be answered because they're connected. Is, does he have first place in your life? Because that's what it says here. So the firstborn from the dead, so that he might, he himself might come to have first place in everything. When you believe, when you, when you believe that he created you for his purpose. He'll automatically have first place. And then when Paul would write later on in this book, he'd say, whatever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. No, I had a lot of fun with the kids out here who played kickball. And it was so much fun, all of them, Noah, little Noah, I've just seen them. I'm not, I'm not just picking up. You know, it, we got a lot of competitive young men and women in this church. And... Uh, and, it's, it, and it was a joy to see them, you know. It, they want to win. It's kickball. It's just a kickball game. Well, yeah, they want to win, <laughs> you know. And to watch so quick and fast and heads up. Maybe kids were all trying. I, Blake, he's, I don't know if he was diving for first place to get there safe or he just big old feet. He stumbled over his big old feet. But it looked like it was a baseball play. It's a lot of fun. And we do things. And we compete. But I have always admired those great athletes and competitors that they understand. Oh, oh, thank God. First thing I want to do is thank God. I want to thank God. I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank him. He's got first place in my life. And that he created me and I'm living for him.
And finally, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated. Hostile in mind. Engaged in evil deeds. Yet. But God. Reconciled you. Even when in our flesh we, we're living for ourselves and we don't put him first. And other things are more important. God was so pleased. He says, I have an answer for men. I have an answer for men that don't see my purpose in creation. I have an answer for men who, who, who live for themselves and put worthless things first. And I'm pleased. My son, I'm so pleased, my son. And even though we don't put him first and even when we don't live for him, even though we're engaged in evil deeds and we're hostile in mind, I'm so pleased in my son because he'll reconcile them. And that was God's plan from the beginning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us life. Father, I pray for this church and I pray for myself and I pray for my family and my friends. And I just pray, Father, for the darkness in the world that we live in, that we would come to this knowledge that you made us and that you have a purpose for us. And then that purpose is your son. Help us to put him first, to live for him, Father. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.